Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Gary Michael Anderson, who is a friend of mine, he lives in LA, he's a new father, coping with that through lockdown. We spoke about racial politics in America, um, being the father of a, a biracial kid, and we spoke about um, communication styles in parenting and in the world, as well as a whole bunch of other things. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I really love talking to Gary, he's such a He's such a good, solid human being and a, and a, and a great thinker, um, one, of, one of the thoughtful people of the world. So please do listen to that. You can also find his work on Instagram for the most part. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for sharing this. If you share it, thank you for supporting me on Patreon if you do that. Uh, thank you just for listening. I cannot tell you how much this podcast has been the through line of all of the work that I've done um, in the last five years. It has been the backbone of my, my intellectual selfhood. It's kept me going through some really difficult times and having you there listening makes what I do worthwhile. So another sappy intro. <laughs> But uh, also on the 23rd of July, I'm doing a live show on Next Up Comedy, um, which is in the UK. I think, I'm not sure if you can get elsewhere, or maybe you need to use a proxy or one of those magical internet leapfroggers. Um, but that's on the 23rd of July, and that's a live show. I'm not sure what it will be yet, but it'll be something. And also Savage As Ever is available on Amazon Prime, as is The Resistance in some demographics. Uh, demographics? In some... In some neighbourhoods, in some parts of the world, the resistance is also on Amazon Prime. Otherwise, you can get it at patreon.com slash alicefraser or on my website, alicefraser.com. That's enough from me. I'll let you get on with listening to me talk to Gary Michael Anderson. You're having tea with Alice. Hello. Who are you and what are you drinking? My name is Gary Anderson. I am a stand-up comic and a writer uh, based in Los Angeles by way of San Francisco, California. Uh, and I am drinking, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but it's, um, I want to say, uh, Puka brand <laughs> turmeric glow tea. And I'm not a big fan of the turmeric, but I do love the uh, lemon fruit and <clears throat> the hint of ginger. Oh. And the lemon, uh, yeah, the lemon in the in the tea. But I'm not I'm not a huge turmeric fan, so that's what it's I'm drinking. Very good for you, turmeric. Pellegrino, uh, sparkling water. Pellegrino, I think, is the best sparkling water. I think it has the best size of bubbles. If you can get real specific. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Cause, yeah, because they're they're uh, they're smaller. <laughs> I guess the the sizzle and the carbonation it, it feels more. Um, spread out or, or or no 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 more condensed like in your mouth i don't know it's weird the some some of them are too aggressive yeah i know what you mean it's biting water uh, yeah. is, rather than exciting uh, water right. now in the background i can hear what sounds like my level one gymnastics floor routine music that's so funny that is a that's an it's an ice cream truck okay so, and i live in a very vibrant neighborhood so there's ice cream trucks there's um there's Hispanic men who who pull up to the corner and and scream tamales like they sell. They have tamales for sale, and then there's another guy that comes around with popcorn. It's like it's a lot of it's a lot of different energies going on. 
a lot of dynamic street noise. So you're in America. Are you in lockdown or how's it going over there? Um, I Yeah, we're in lockdown. It, it's kind of um, start and stop. So we entered a, a phase, uh, I think like phase two or phase three, where some businesses were opening and uh, to limited capacity. But since um, there's been a surge, uh, everything shut down again. So now restaurants are only open for uh, takeout service and uh, bars bars were open for a moment and they shut down again. So now we're back to phase one. So we took one step forward and one step back. Well, that's, yeah, I think Australia is about to go into a similar situation. We got we got pretty complacent. We had basically eliminated it here and, and now there's a little surge in Victoria that's making everybody panic. What is the vibe on masks out there? Are people like... Are there people who are like staunchly against wearing masks and like really using that platform to like voice their, you know, um, I am free. I will not be forced to wear a mask. Like, is, is that the vibe? No, it's less, less that in that we, in America, I think it's less that we have a little bit of that, that leakage through social media into our politics but for the main part, we simultaneously have a slightly less authoritarian police presence and a okay. more kind of uh, go along to get along conformist social ethic. So we gotcha. tend to be more uh, more self policing, I think, than America. Gotcha. Where okay. Big emphasis on freedom, and at the same time, your police force is quite authoritarian. Our police force, as a general rule, obviously with some exceptions, particularly in some communities, as a general rule, the police force first um, approach tends to be a little bit hail fellow. Yes, well, I was yeah. so I was you know obviously I'm I'm a privileged young lady and I grew up in a, a nice city and all of that, but I was shocked when I went to America at how aggressive the first interaction with police is. Uh-huh. Um, whereas in Australia, any police person who had ever met, it was just like asking them for directions, you know. Yeah, yeah. Much less kind of it's a, it's a very, It's a very sort of um, interesting idea where they approach a situation with a very hostile and aggressive energy and expect you, the citizen, to remain calm and at ease and, and disarming as to not, you know, to excite them too much to where they respond with force in like unnecessary force a lot of times. So it's a very interesting thing. It's like, how do you, you're the professional, but yet you expect me to like be the one to, to remain completely compliant. And though I may not even understand where this energy is coming from, because there's a chance I may have done nothing wrong. So I may genuinely not know what you're referring to or why you're approaching me you know it's it's it's, there's so many layers to it it's kind of like it's like comically tragic (laughs) yeah well i mean a lot of people at the moment are talking about that stuff on a systemic level but i mean like on an interpersonal level like how people are Mm -hmm. you you can either be like hey mate what's the problem right you can be if you come in looking for a fight it's very hard not to have a fight with someone who wants to have a fight with you right exactly totally 100%. One hundred percent. So, speaking of which, you've had you've had a little time in lockdown, and I assume you've been thinking about things. You're you're a fairly deep thinker. It's one of the things I uh, enjoy about you. What have you been wrestling with? Well, um, oh, well, I have recently became a father. 
Um, I have a newborn son who is biracial. So he is uh, half, you know, me. That would be dope if, uh, if, if you could, you know, divvy up the, the, uh, the fraction, if you could change the fraction of like, oh, I want to be, <laughs> I want my child to be a third of me and then 66.7% is mother. <laughs> and anyway, it's half of me and, and half um, a woman uh, who is uh, a white woman. Mm-hmm. So I have been wrestling a lot with sort of, also, what kind of adds to that is um, the state of our uh, the state of our nation in terms of um, dealing with race. So, <clears throat> with a new uh, with an infant son and a white mom, we have very different backgrounds. And we have different experiences with different, a different level of experience with kids. Like I have a really, really large family and there's a lot of children in my family and there's been um, newborn babies in my household since I was 11 years old. So, you know, I have taken on a lot of responsibility in raising kids. So I have, you know, uh, quite a bit of experience with that. So we often come into like very, very like challenging situations in dealing with how to parent. Mm -hmm. I have an idea of what parenting looks like for me and she has an idea and a lot of the times, you know, they clash. Um, Are there any specific lines on which they clash? Is it like you think you're more relaxed or you're more intense or she's more relaxed or she's more intense? I'm I'm certainly more calm and more relaxed and she's a bit more um, on edge and and, um, worried. So she is a little more proactive and a little more of a planner and I'm very much so like go, I'm very much go with the flow. you're like I, my mom. I remember my dad, uh, my dad always tells this story of how when they realized that they were going to have children and have twins, he sort of panicked and he said, we need to make money and we need to, don't we need to buy a crib? And mom said, oh, we can just pull out a drawer and line it with towels. <laughs> yeah, it'll work, it'll work out. <laughs> it'll be that's fine. And that's been sort of my experience. And, and where we have issues is that, and what I'm wrestling with is I don't know on what level Um, there is sort of a a division um, based on race or is it gender or is it like, you know, um, our individual personalities. So I don't know what to sort of attribute what to what. There's so many different layers and so many different possibilities because obviously this is my only kid, so I don't have experiences having a child with another woman to kind (laughs) of... to kind of uh, base it on. So, yeah, I have no frame of reference. So I don't know. I have no idea what's what. I'm just like, is this because you're a woman? Is this because you're a white woman? Is this because you're a new mom? Is this because, you know, is this because I, is this why I am, you know. Or is it your specific family or your specific personality within all of those frameworks? Right, yeah. 
there's so much and there's and there could be so much nuance so i don't it, it's it's nearly impossible but um we have a difficult time obviously because there is no um set hierarchy in who makes the decisions in regards to the child so we have a difficult time making you know certain decisions or I'll make a decision that she doesn't agree with or, or vice versa. So it's, it, it's, it is, uh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult on a day to day. Cause I'm very much so like, uh, and I think I was, we were talking about this may have sort of a, a racial overtone in that <clears throat> if I were to generalize, I, I could say that black people, and a lot of a lot of minorities and a lot of uh, minority cultures tend to um, allow the child to adapt to our world, while white people try to create a world for the child to be comfortable with their perception of what comfort should be for a baby. Yeah. Whereas. Whereas I'm like that the child will will adapt. Like I, I have a certain level of um, uh, individualism where, in, in a certain a certain level of you know, uh, free spirited, where I I still want to maintain sort of a, a certain um, level of like my own life that I, I want to have. That's a really interesting question. There's, there's so many interesting ideas that have just come out of, of what you've said for me. And the first one is, I think, that there's probably a time for each of those approaches. There is a, a benefit to, you know, coddling and protecting a child. And at the same time, I think the modern world has really shown that overprotecting children leads to a lack of resilience and real, right. like there's a, a rash of mental health issues, particularly among uh, well-off white kids that didn't seem to exist, either because there wasn't enough diagnosis or because there is a real impact. This kind of, you know, if you read any of Jonathan Haidt's writing, H-A-I-D-T, he writes about this kind of coddling and, and the lack of resilience. Actually, hardship mm-hmm. is an incredibly important thing. And oh. ideally what you want to do is give your child hardship that doesn't... <clears throat> doesn't over damage them that damages them in a way that they can grow stronger from rather than you know traumatizing them for life yeah yeah and uh, yeah that's kind of been my frame of thought and approach um is to at least give the opportunity to see how he adapts to certain situations and different you know challenges like does he need complete darkness in order to in order to sleep comfortably does he need um, a noise machine in order to sleep comfortably? Like what is necessary versus, you know, what we can do away with. If it's not necessary, then do we, you know, I, I don't want him to be or grow up to uh, not be able to function if certain parameters aren't met. Yeah, again, that's the, the idea of optimal in child rearing is such an odd one. You know, you hear it in the argument against, for example, gay marriage or, or, Mm-hmm. Or that kind of thing of like, it's actually optimal for there to be this kind of, not just a man and a woman, but this kind of man and this kind of woman and, you know, this color room and this kind of, mu- and it's like no one's life is optimal. No, and no one knows. <laughs> and Nobody a different knows. child will react differently. Right, because well. we're not uniform. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's been a journey 
uh, an ongoing journey. And it's, it's been fun. We have a pretty good communication, so that helps. But then also there's, you know, aspects in our communication where um, our communication styles don't sort of uh, work in cohesion. And it could be, uh, I don't, again, I don't know what exactly to attribute that to sometimes. Cause I can be, you know, I can be loud and, you know, talk loud and try to get my point across and not necessarily argumentative, but you know, if I'm passionate, I can, my voice can project a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have an athletic background. I have a coaching background. Like it can project, <laughs> you know, and it's not with the intention of being aggressive, but you know, I'm just speaking passionately as though we were, you know, in a barber shop or something. <laughs> and, but within my family, that is okay. And, you know, it, we are comfortable in my, in my family communicating that way. But for some people, it could be, um, they could perceive it as, you know, uh, hostile or, you know, what have you, and, and not be able to well, so interact. That's, that's really interesting. And it's one of the, like, to broaden it out, one of the biggest problems of, of the current discourse is that people in general don't seem to be sure about how much um, to value or give impact to intent and how much to value how people take it. Certainly. So if you mean something and somebody takes it as something else, who's who's, who's right? right? Right, exactly. It's like, but I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, but, you know, you, you can't undermine my feelings or dismiss my feelings of how it made me feel. So I was like, okay, I got to respect that as well. So I was like, where do we? Yeah, but also, you know, if you misheard me and you took offense, then you're wrong. So like if you, if I didn't say the word you think I said or whatever it happens to be, the sentence, uh, are you still right to be offended? Oh, no. Am I breaking up? Hold on a sec. Let's... Okay. I think, I think I should be okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, that's good. So the other thing, the other thing that I think is underlying a lot of the stuff that you've just been talking about or something about the way, like, obviously you're in America, there's this massive racial discussion happening there. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, you hear both sides of that argument and then you hear the third and fourth sides and the fifth and sixth sides. One of the sides that I hear a lot of, from my kind of overeducated white male friends is mm-hmm. actually it's not as much racism as you think it is. And obviously mm-hmm. they, they, they think they put, they all have different ideas of how much racism it is. Everyone acknowledges that there's some racism, but the question is how much, how much mm-hmm. of it is racism, how much of it is something else. Oh, it's, and, like, it's like 13% racism. Yeah. Like I, I, first of all, I find that a frustrating conversation to have. The racism. <laughs> Oh, it's only like 7%. I find that a frustrating conversation to have. It becomes alarming when the racism reaches 22, (laughs) 23%. That's... (laughs) Yeah, in every given interaction. Uh, But this is one of the problems of the existence of racism or sexism or any other kind of prejudice is that, you know, for example, I'm a woman, I'm in comedy. If I'm in a green room and people aren't talking to me, I don't know if it's sexism or mm. if it's that they're all just not in a good mood or they don't like me as a person in a way that has nothing to do with my gender. But the, f- the fact that sexism exists sort of poisons every interaction for me so that oh. I can never be certain. 
Totally. I understand that. And I, and I experienced that as well. I experienced that as well being black. And that's the thing that, you know, um, they, you know, once sort of a discrimination, once there are laws and, you know, legislation against discrimination, you know, making it illegal or what have you, people became very uh, strategic and stealthy. So it becomes a thing where it's like, is this racist? I don't, I don't know. Do I give them the benefit of the doubt? And that's the thing because it's, it's so, so nuanced now, especially, especially uh, progressive racism. It's like, we don't, we don't quite know, but it feels like it could be. Yeah, and then you have other kind of branches of racism, like uh, what oh. they call the bigotry of low expectations, which is a kind mm-hmm. of frustrating. Yeah, sort of it's it, it's like it's, that, it's it. I thought about this uh, thing while watching. Um, I don't know. Um, I think it was some, it was a comedy special. I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, you know there there was a trend of uh in pronouns and how people identify and how people you know um misidentify someone and and that person may become offended by that but i always question is like would you take that energy to like an impoverished neighborhood if someone like misidentifies you are you gonna correct that you know what i mean it's a weird it's like a it's a very privileged thing to like a stance to take it's very interesting so much of, yeah, so much of, of, I think, particularly that very online discourse is, is, and it's not even necessarily got to do with neighbourhoods, but it, it, it limits the conversation to people who already know all the terms of reference and are already mm-hmm. aware of what's offensive and what isn't. And, and, and yeah. so I was talking about this with Lisa Sharon Harper, who's one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, and she was mm-hmm. in Charlottesville and all of that. And she was saying um, that for her, the ideal mission, I guess, or the ideal movement is something where everyone is pointed in the same direction. And it almost doesn't matter how far away from that horizon you are as long as you're moving in the right direction. Where uh, the movement that she doesn't like is the walled garden movement where you're either in or out and Mm -hmm. the walls are constantly shifting. So yeah. or out, you could be saying the same thing day after day, but whether you're in or out shifts, you know, 10, right. five years ago, three years ago, saying I believe in freedom of speech uh, was not a dog whistle <laughs> for racism. Yeah. And if yeah. you just haven't happened to spend 10 hours online a day and you still believe in freedom of speech uh, and are willing to say it in those terms, mm. all of a sudden you're on the outside or you're questionable or you're allied with right-wing nazi right it's um uh i i i i struggle with it i've actually strangely enough um been listening to a lot of black conservatives like young black conservatives just to kind of gain perspective on their approach because they're Mm -hmm. all you know former liberals, progressives, leftists, all, every single last one of them. Mm-hmm. And they sort of switched over to the other side. So I, you know, want to definitely wanted to sort of, um, 
understand sort of their reasoning behind that. And a lot of their ideas, I actually, I genuinely agree with. And I also don't. There's that chap out of Columbia University who does a lot of stuff. Yeah. uh, She's kind of, she's blowing up, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Now that I think about it, because she's an attractive woman, (laughs) the young attractive black woman. No, I was thinking about the the uh, man. He wrote an article about how uh, how there are different outcomes for black immigrants into America than there are for African Americans. Is out of Columbia yeah. University. I don't remember. Yeah, that, and that, but you can also say that sort of um, that crossed kind of the racial bounds. So, because like any immigrant coming to America, you know, uh, has a very different per perspective. Well, also, you know, in terms of reporting of racist encounters i think if you're an immigrant into a country you're less likely to complain if you meet with yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. you're much more likely to keep your head down you're much more likely to say yes you're much less likely to stand up for your rights much more likely to you know so it's a sort of an unfair comparison in some ways in other ways it might be instructive but again i i don't know i'm not in america my uh it might sort of i might issue that I come across sort of with the online discourse um, and just uh, the conversation in itself is a lot of it I don't necessarily see how this conversation uh, serves as a catalyst to taking action. Like a lot of it, a lot of the conversation just seems like oh, we're just discussing racial dynamics, the, the theory of race, as though you're in, you know, sort of, um, this could be a, a, a course at the university between, it's just like civilians having a discussion, but there really has, it really has no practical use in the real world. Yeah, like, it this feels is like, feel, but yeah. How is this going to change your decision-making on a day-to-day? Trying to leverage change by language change is like trying to pull up a tree by the leaves on the end of the branches. Like it's such a treating the symptoms rather than the cause. It's such a outlet for emotions or an outlet for energy that might otherwise be used to good purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't really, I mean, I don't understand it. Obviously my experiences of, of, racial politics in America are limited mainly to my interactions with my friends when I was living in New York and with you when I was there in, um, in LA and we were, I I was really struck when we were in the hotel, it was like a five-star hotel, four-star hotel for the LA podcast conference. And we were in a lift together and there was a whole family of people who came to come into the lift with us and then they backed off. And I looked, I was like, what was that? That was really weird. And you're like, it's because it's I'm me. And I did not, I genuinely did not believe you for like I 10 remember, seconds. I don't even remember that. Yeah. That so, encounter. Yeah, we were going to go for a swim and we got in the lift oh. and it was like a family of people. They came to the lift and then they bridled and didn't come in the lift. And I like held the door for them and they said, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> I'm so like. That experience, that type of experience is just like so normal for me. Like it it, is not even memorable. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. For me, it was such a shock. Like obviously I, you know, you you come up against these things of just that's just not, no one's ever refused to get in a lift with me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm I'm really, uh, 
I think this is a very uh, pivotal time. Um, it's, it's, it's important, but I, I don't exactly know where the conversation goes from where it is now. And at what point does it become destructive? Yeah. So, well, destructive uh, of sort of what, I guess, in some ways, I don't know what the movement, goal is. At what point does the movement, you know, um, sort of, I don't want to say dissolve, but, you know, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's essentially through its own sort of um, corruption, just yeah. dealing with dealing with people. <laughs> well, well the, the question is sort of what is the current activism aiming to achieve? That is a huge, uh, that's a huge question. I was just talking with my lady earlier of, uh, about defunding the police. That's like been a big thing. It's like, oh, we're going to defund, <laughs> defund the police. And it's almost as though like, it's almost as though like we're being duped because, you know, the society only understands like things in terms of, of money. So it's like we either throw money at something or we take money away from it. And that's our response to it. And that's how, and like, but defunding the police, that's not gonna achieve the goal of better policing. <laughs> like that's not, it, it, it's, it's mind boggling. It's like, oh yeah, we'll take money away from that. It's like, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, football players on a contract with poor performance. So now they have a lower contract. They have to work their way back up to earning more money. That's not how it works. Like it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But people are like, yeah, defund the police. That's, that's a great idea. Well, like, are they using, yeah, I, the arguments that I've seen for it that have been good are, well, there needs to be essentially specialised functional uh, people, not necessarily called the police, but performing, that the police are being asked to do too many different things okay. and being they're being asked to do too many th different things while being trained to react aggressively. So simultaneously catching criminals, uh, solving social problems, um, responding to noise complaints. If you have the same yeah. person who chases down a murderer being called in for a noise complaint, Right. That, they, is that energy, yeah, that's kind of, that's really going to have an effect on like sort of who they are and how they, um, their level of aggression towards minor sort of uh, events that can, you know, that can escalate. If they're, again, if they're dealing with that range of uh, interactions. Well, if you are, if you're in a hospital and you were asking a doctor to come and operate on you and you just picked any doctor, that would be considered completely asinine. Like, asinine. Yeah. What a ridiculous thing to do. You wouldn't yeah. call a cancer doctor in to perform liver surgery. Right. So the idea so would be to, to. So is the, um, the agenda to uh, have more specialty? So. I think that, that, I mean, look, I think that should be the agenda. I don't know if it is the agenda for everyone. Uh, I think for some people it is. I've seen some people make that argument and and propose that. And I think that's a good solution. And that's also kind of kind of difficult because if you're just, if you're patrolling, just generally speaking, you know, you never know what, what you're going to encounter. It could yes. be anything, in, you know, on any level from one to 10. You have, you know, you don't know, but you have to respond. You so know what I mean? 
You want your GPs, your general police. Uh, they have they have a more broad range of skill set. <laughs> yeah. They diagnose the problem and then they call in the specialist. Oh, and then they call. All <laughs> they right. give you a referral. Hey, you're a murderer. Here's a slip of yeah. paper. Yeah. Report yeah. into the murder police. Is that is that how is it in the UK? Because they don't have guns, right? Well, I'm in Australia at the moment, where we de- uh, definitely don't have guns. I think we have tasers. I think some police have guns. Um, but if, they, if you encounter, if they encounter a situation where like guns, hey, we might need, you know, lethal force in this situation, they'll, they'll call someone and someone, and then they'll send the SWAT team in. Usually. Special unit? Yeah, they'll send oh, in a special okay. unit and you have, you know, you have your riot police and it's slightly more specialized in Australia than I think it is in okay. the US. Um, okay. Because of See, we that. Have you have, we have the the specialists as well as, but our, our general patrolmen kind of cover a lot of ground or, you know, um, not, not uh, effectively, but in their job description, they do cover quite a bit of ground. But the culture of policing is, is, is really um, corrupt and toxic. And that is something that's very difficult to change. Um, I, and I, I really don't have any answers, but I know I have quite a few friends who are, uh, police officers and it's almost, um, it's pretty comical, like who they are as people and how I know them, you know? Uh, and yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I could see you going into a situation with sort of certain prejudices and preconceived notions and, and a certain um, level of fear that could cause you to, you know, make um, decisions kind of on a fly that could be, you know, detrimental. Yeah. Well, there is also the, the complicating factor of normal civilians having uh, guns in the U S right. they don't have in Australia. They don't have in the UK. In the UK, they have um, a sort of a sub police force called the community liaison officers and they get a lot of fun made for them because they're of them because they yeah, don't I, walk around so, and be like naughty. As soon as you said that, I my, my first thought was like, that is really cute. That is <laughs> such a cute little title. You know, I just, yeah, I just can imagine. They're, they're probably like our, uh, our meter maids, the people who give out parking tickets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly that. They're, they're like conflict managers in, uh, in, in primary school. Yeah. <laughs> All monitors. That's cute. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is one of those things, and there was certainly a lot of fun made of them. I, I, I would have to track the impact that they have. I don't know if they've been effective or not, but they were instituted mm-hmm. about 10 years ago in the UK. Um, yeah. One of the things the Australian police do is they tend to send out partners of mixed gender, um, particularly okay. in community policing situations. So if you go to King's okay. Cross or King's Cross before they stopped uh, King's Cross being what it was, it was a yeah. you know night spot, the po- mm-hmm. police patrols that you would see would often, if not always, be a man and a woman. So the woman mm. would, uh, you know, not to be gender essentialist about it, as, but as a general rule, she would be the de-escalator and he right. would have a heavy hand on the shoulder, calm down, mate. Yeah, the enforcer to try to have a nice, to try to have a good, good cop, bad cop balance. Yeah, well, that, you know, the, there are instincts at play late at night. <laughs> What do you mean? When it comes to punch-ups, I think you, you know, if you have a lady in the situation, she's more likely to de-escalate it than mm. a man 
you might feel that you had to prove something or, you know, a, a couple of men who have come in and they are subject, you know, men are hormonal. They're not rationally minded. Hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay. They can't I, control I think, themselves, poor dears. All right. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was the dig at women. I thought, we, I thought we said women were hormonal. I thought we all agreed to that as a general consensus that women were hormonal. I think and men, men agree to that. Uh, oh, men agree. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So Before it's that. it's a tough time to live in. Um, yeah. Um, this vi- the virus is 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 terrifying. Uh, and you know, trying to convince people that it's a real thing that you know should be. Uh, that you should really proceed with caution. Uh, a lot of people are not, you know, responding well, the way that I politicized and conspiracy theorists and all of yeah. that in America. And I just wow. don't understand it. I was like, why, <laughs> why, why can't we just? We have we have so many other issues that we can debate on. <laughs> like this is we don't. It's not necessary. It's just, uh, but you know. I'm glad I have a nice diverse timeline so I can kind of hear uh, both ends of the argument. But yeah, a lot of people, I'm just, I I don't get it. What is the point? I I don't understand. My friend Dave Anthony lives in LA and he was saying if he goes walking uh, with his dog and he's wearing a mask, people sort of lunge at him. Really? To sort of aggress him for wearing a mask because wearing a mask... He's in Marin County. He said wearing a mask is politicised, at least there. People oh, see it as odd. a statement. That's, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. A statement to uh, preserve life. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But how, how is that? I don't, yeah. Wearing, I don't a mask, wearing a mask identifies who you're voting for, your political alignment. That is unbelievable. That is unfucking believable All right, well... Yeah, well. Yeah. It's one thing to sort of say in theory, of course, you shouldn't be made to wear an item of clothing that you don't want to wear. But, but let's, it's, yeah, it's not. It's another thing to say, like, you're not allowed on the bus if you've shat yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. if you have poo yeah. running down your leg, how about don't get on the bus? We fight every battle. We don't want to, we'll have to take a stand against every single issue and politicize it it's not i just uh, i i'll never understand it but you know i have very low expectations in, in humanity for the most part but americans anyway so come to australia well there's that um i may I actually had a great time when i when i visited yeah sure yeah enjoyed it how's the, how's the uh the comedy scene uh so we've been in, we, we did a fairly early, not as early as New Zealand, but fairly early, quite strict lockdown. So when I came back, I came back from the UK to do the festivals here and ended up being caught here. Like I'd packed for six weeks and I've been here for three months now uh, oh, wow. But because we've locked down our borders. Uh, but I did a two, when I landed, I did a two-week full quarantine. I wasn't allowed to leave the flat that I had. I, I got an Airbnb and I wasn't allowed to leave the door for two weeks and then it went into community lockdown, so you could go shopping for groceries, but most yeah. shops were closed. And 
you know, I could still do my work because a lot of my work is podcasting, but I couldn't do any live gigs. But at the end of this month, there'll be the first live gig in Sydney that I'll be doing. And are you writing a new show? I did my very first preview about a week before I flew out of of the UK. I've done one preview and obviously I would have wanted to run that show through the festivals and get it good for Edinburgh and then to film. But so far... (laughs) It's very uh, primordial in that, um, yeah, I'll try and work it up for, for next year, likely. Um, okay. All right. So anyway, this is just people chat. We should do this after we finish the podcast. Um, where can people find you online? Where can they support your work uh, and so on? Um, I am, what is my, my Instagram is Gary Michael Anderson. Um, yeah, that's that's the primary place where where I where you can find me, I kind of centralize all of my activity. Uh, I need I should be more active, but I'm trying to sort raise of lean, sun. lean on yeah, raise the sun and um, leaning uh, more towards writing. Uh, so screenplay script stuff. Um, yeah, trying to yeah uh, advance in 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 that arena. But yeah, Instagram is a great place. Or if you can find me on Facebook, that's cool too. Uh, my Instagram is a lot of pictures of my cute kid. So uh, if you want to, if you there's no downside. Yeah, if you want to smile. My two favorite things: uh, comedy and adorable children. Uh, oh man! Well, thank you no so idea. much for having tea with me. I'll finish this up and then we'll talk like normal people. Um, okay. Thank you for listening. Uh, you've been having tea with Alice. Well, tie our ends 
hands up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifles all, lally rifles day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifles all, lally rifles day.